This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in butt one word at a time. We finished last week's episode um, reading a quote and then discussing the quote, and that, that quote was from Sarah Waters, and I'll read it again as a refresher for everyone. Writing students can be great at producing a single page of well-crafted prose, What they sometimes lack is the ability to take a reader on a journey with all the changes of terrain, speed, and mood that a long journey involves. And you talked a bit about story and and the importance of story in, in what we discuss here. I was reflecting back on something that I had seen just in life, something something that I had seen, a situation that I had seen. And it reminded me of an essay that was written in uh, your friend Lauren Huff's book, and that that was a memoir titled Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing. And one of the things that she did so well in that book, from my perspective, is instead of beating readers over the head with a perspective, she told stories to get her perspective across. And I have found myself two or three times seeing something and going, that's what she was talking about. And then the whole story that she told unfolds in my mind, and I remember the story. And that's, I'm kind of taking that and reflecting back on this quote about producing a single page of well-crafted prose. The prose may have been great. I I don't remember. I know you really liked the prose. It seemed like it was really well written. But what I remember were the stories. And then when I see things, it reminds me of these little stories that she told in her book that was published in April. And I think that's when I read it. So six, seven months ago. And the stories become fresh in my mind again because they're well-told stories. Yeah. I think also to jump off what you were just saying and not to like take us off on a tangent here, is we we talk so much about the importance of story versus writing. I mean, they're yin and yang, but I don't think we've ever really mentioned the power of storytelling. Storytelling itself is an incredibly powerful communication technique for exactly the reasons that you were just explaining. It is also a way to effectively generate empathy in an audience for whatever point you're trying to get across. That's why so many newspaper articles, like long-form pieces that were are going to be focusing on a particular topic, but let's say, you know, a lack of affordable housing, for example, just drawing that out of thin air. If you were to just report on the housing situation, it's dry, it's boring, it doesn't really stick with you, no matter how well it's written. So they don't. They find people whose lives are affected 
by the specific situation they are, the, the, the topic that they're going to write about, and they use those individuals as the basis of storytelling to report on a particular issue. And you might not remember the data, but you're going to remember the people's lives and it garners sympathy, it garners empathy. It's, it's, it's such a powerful tool. It can be used for good or evil, or let's just say uh, their side versus my side, whatever. So even if not applied just towards writing fiction, the skill, the art of storytelling is useful in so much of communication through daily life. It is a powerful, powerful tool. And even if writing is not your thing, you cannot go wrong about learning how to effectively communicate a story. Well put. All right. And that was our chit chat. So now we're <laughs> going to get <laughs> now we're going to get back to the uh, back to the quotes. And this one be this is from Orson Welles. And I have never read anything of his. I, I know that he wrote screenplays. I think he wrote other things as well, but Everyone has seen Citizen Kane, and so when I read this, not quote, me. You, uh, all right. Well, I've, I've, you should, I've not. You I've, should I've, definitely I know War of the Worlds. You should definitely. <laughs> I want watch. to. It's on my list. It's. It is. I don't know. It, it's one of those things that I, I've been told so many times that's a, that it's amazing. I repeat that, but I've I've watched it multiple times, and it always it really lands well with. But anyway, here's his quote. I want to give the audience a hint of a scene. No more than that. Give them too much and they won't contribute anything themselves. Give them just a suggestion and you get them working with you. So sometimes I read writing advice and it goes right over my head. <laughs> and the reason it goes over my head is because I know because... I'm not able to turn around and articulate how I would apply that. And this is one of those quotes that I'm thinking like, how, I know this is written for screenplays and that screenplays are different than novels. How would you go about giving a hint of a scene? And then it kind of flicked on in my head and what, how I personally would apply this quote. And I'm sure there's lots of other ways to read it. And of course, if you've got feedback on a different way to read it, I want to hear it because I don't fully grasp exactly what he's getting at here. But for me, how I would interpret it has to do with description and detail. So, because like I said, the, the process of writing a screenplay versus writing a novel is completely different. You have to create all of that in a novel. And you don't, if you go overboard in describing your settings, describing your people, uh, any, any form of description or detail, you are forcing that image into the reader's mind. And in my experience, you would allow the reader's mind to create much more vivid, realistic, and emotionally engaging material by just giving them the building blocks that they need to create that. So we've talked about in times past how we need to set the stage 
for our characters. We don't have disembodied voices floating here or there in space and time. We need to create the set and how it's like they start off on a on an empty stage. There's a spotlight on them. And as they move through this world, the pieces of the set materialize in that spotlight wherever they are. If you go into too much detail about everything that's on the, the stage or the, in that set with your characters, the reader spends so much time trying to imagine exactly what it is you are describing that it detracts from the story, it detracts from the emotion, it detracts from the forward momentum that keeps them turning pages. And so the goal with description in detail is to give just enough that the reader's imagination can take over. And I, I've mentioned this before, uh, specifically in terms of comments that I've received about my action sequences, about how I write these very vivid, fast-paced, compelling action sequences. You know, how do I do that? And my answer is basically, I don't. In other words, I am not giving a play-by-play of what's happening. I'm just inside the character's head as they act and react to what's going on around them, the reader's filling in all the rest on their own. Whatever they're seeing in their head, that's them. That's not me. All I did was give them the raw material to make those movies inside their head and to feel those emotions as they're reading it. And because of that, it looks like I did all this work. Well, the work is in not overdoing and taking out enough so that the reader has the tools that they need. So that is a lot of work. It's a lot harder than it looks. But it it really is a case of you're hinting at it. You're giving them just enough so that they have the the reader's mind does most of the work. You give them that suggestion and they do the work for you. And so that's how I personally take that quote and see how I would apply it in my own writing life. So I took that a little bit differently and I took it out of context, but I, I, we have talked a few times on the show, uh, about dialogue. We've talked a lot about dialogue, but a few times on the show, we've talked about the importance of not saying too much. And that's, that's the wrong phraseology, but like not over explaining in the dialogue and leaving things out so that the reader can figure it out. So you're not saying, Joe, you know, you're, I can't believe that you and your redheaded wife just went down to the store to buy milk and eggs and you came back in your blue car, that kind of thing. You're just really completely yeah. overdoing it as opposed to, you know, just a sentence that hints at a lot of that, um, which allows the reader to participate in what's happening. And I also was was reflecting back on last week's story that you had told during the chit-chat of you taking the eggs on a drive. And the way I interpreted that story was completely different than than reality. And in, in my interpretation, where they're in the back of a beat-up old pickup truck with 300,000 miles bouncing along on a blanket... I, I thought that was kind of fun, but I asked you about it and then you gave more details, which filled it all in. Um, and so maybe, maybe that's one of those things as well. You know, that is such a perfect example because if, if let's say that that was something that took place inside a story, unless the detail of how those eggs were 
packaged actually mattered to the plot or to the character or conflict or something, it is exactly the type of thing that you could leave out. She packed up the eggs, tried to keep them safe so that they could survive the trip, shoved them in the back seat, and away she went, right? Mm -hmm. Skip all the detail. Does not matter. Does not does not matter what image or picture the reader puts inside their head because the outcome is going to be the same anyway. When she reached her destination, she found that everything was intact and she sighed a huge sigh of relief, right? So that was a perfect example of what, what, how you don't have to go into all that detail unless it actually matters to the story that's being told. And I think that the way that you read it in terms of dialogue, of giving the hints and alluding to things, perfect. It, it is the exact same concept, just applied to dialogue as well. And I'm sure there are lots of other ways that we could apply it to other aspects of the writing process that we have talked about over time. All right. Next quote is from Chuck Wendig. Plot does not drive characters. Characters drive plot. Characters want, fear, need, feel, act, and react. This creates plot. I'm going to hold off on commenting on that until we read the next two uh, quotes as well, because they all kind of tie into each other, and I'm just going to kind of meta-comment on all of them combined. Okay. So the next quote is from Richard North Patterson. If you move your characters from plot point to plot point, like painting by the numbers, they often remain stick figures. The writer must always leave room for the characters to grow and change. Do you want me to read the next quote? Yeah. Okay. This quote is from Carolyn C. Henry James said, What is character without action? He's yours now. You own him. And from now on, it's a combination of what he does and what you want him to do that's going to make this character come alive. Okay. So in my mind, all three of those quotes essentially get to the heart of plot versus character. Now, if you're an organic writer and you're writing by the seat of your pants, this is going to be much less of an issue because you don't already have an idea of what needs to happen. You're, you're letting your characters lead you. But if you are an outliner, then this is just so critical to storytelling. And I, I don't think it's possible to beat this horse to death. I'm sorry, that's a horrible metaphor. <laughs> Especially for a farm squeeze. woman. <laughs> I, don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to not squeeze blood out of this turnip <laughs> or stone to bread or however we want it. Like, we cannot overemphasize this point. It is... We could we could talk about it on every single episode, and it still wouldn't be enough. That even if you have an outline, even if you need things to happen inside the plot, like the plot is requiring things to happen, it can, the story cannot read as if the plot needs it to happen. The plot point is saying this needs to happen. And now your challenge as the writer is to make it 
so that the characters organically get to that point on their own in the most natural way possible so that it feels like the characters are the ones driving the story. So that's why Chuck Wendon says plot does not drive characters. And that's why Richard North Patterson says, if you move your characters from plot point to plot point, like painting by the numbers, they remain stick figures. He says often, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, we don't even have to equivocate on that. They're going to be (laughs) stick figures. And then Henry James, according to Carolyn C., says, what is character without action? And then she says that it's a combination of what the character does and what you want him to do that's going to make the character come alive. And at the essence of all three of these quotes, what they're saying is the character is driving the story. At least that's the way it has to appear, regardless of what your plot outline says. They could be following your plot outline to a T, but it has to look like they're the ones driving the plot, that the plot is happening because of their choices, their wants, their fears, their needs, their thought process, and what have you. And when you come across a book that feels contrived or feels forced or the characters feel wooden, I'm going to say nine times out of ten, it is most likely because the plot is driving those characters and not the other way around. Because if we were deep inside the character's head and we understood why they were doing what they were doing, it would seem like the characters were driving the plot. So... I'm not going to belabor the point here, but I feel so much frustration when I start to talk about it because I don't understand how this is not just a foundational concept that everybody gets. And but but a lot of people don't get it. And and I want to shake them and go, plot can't drive character, character has to drive plot. And so that's why I say I just cannot talk about this enough. So if you're struggling in your own work to to get a scene to feel alive, go look at the difference between plot and character and see what's driving what. And that will probably solve like 50 percent of your problems. All right. Taylor doesn't want to belabor this, but I will belabor it by asking a question. Okay. We have all heard the phrase is or the question, is your story plot driven or character driven? So from yeah. what you're saying, the answer, if you ever say the answer is plot driven, you're probably given the ro- giving the wrong answer. But is is there an instance or is there a way of looking at it where the the plot does drive the story? But it's the is, is there some twisty thing in there or circular thing where the characters are driving the plot and the plot drives the story? Or is that is this just something that we've heard forever that? we should just not say anymore. Well, look, I write thrillers. Thrillers are plot-driven books. And if you've ever been bored reading a thriller thinking, this is the same old, same old, same old, it's because it's a plot-driven book. So, yes, there are books that are specifically plot-driven that you just don't have the same type of breadth and depth and space to work on characters. You just got to keep the story moving, keep the story moving, keep the story moving. But regardless, it's still got to be the characters that are driving the plot. So 
it's this is where it gets frustrating for me. It's like I understand this and I can't explain it to the level that I wish I could because it just is. The sky is blue. How do you explain blue to somebody who can't see? So, which I'm not saying that you or our listeners are blind or anything like that. I'm just, it's, it's so, it's how, how do you explain a concept, right? And that is, yes, when somebody says, is a plot-driven book, they are really asking, is it exciting? Is there a lot of stuff happen in it? If they say, is it a character-driven book, they're going to expect a lot of introspection and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So in that all sense, right. yes, there are character-driven books and there are plot-driven books. But regardless of what the expectations for the genre is or are, it still has to feel organic as if the characters are the ones making the things happen. Characters happen to the stories. Stories don't happen to the characters. Okay. Thank you. Uh, next up is Chuck Wendig again. Foreshadowing. And I, I love this. I love this quote, and I don't completely understand it. So uh, let's dig into this. Foreshadowing isn't just a literary technique used sparingly. It lurks in the shadow of every plot turn. Plot promises payoff. An event here leads to a choice there, which spawns another event over there. So that, that part I understand, but it's, it's the whole foreshadowing. Let's just take a step back and, and like define foreshadowing and then consider how it applies to this quote. Okay, so normally when we think of foreshadowing, we think of it as Something is going to happen in chapter 10 that will only make sense if the clues are dropped in chapter 3. So I'm going to foreshadow that event and drop those clues in chapter 3 so that when this other thing happens, it's all lined up already, right? That is the, sort of the traditional concept of foreshadowing. Remember a couple of weeks back, we were talking about this problem book that I had that I, nobody could figure out how to fix it. And I finally, in this moment of insight, realized that the problem was that I had learned the story as I went, but those aspects were never reflected earlier on. Basically, what he's saying, the way I understand what he's saying is know your story and intertwine your story so that when things happen, they're all connected to the story as a whole that you're dropping clues along the way. And, okay, so the next quote that I were going to read is one that we've read before, but it's just so good that I was like, we got to do this one again. And it, it kind of ties into this, where John Spate says, so much of screenwriting is information management, interlocking chains of necessary revelations. That is an ex just another way of saying foreshadowing lurks in the shadow of every plot turn. It's, a, it's the same concept. It is you're managing information, you're dropping stuff along the way that's all going to come into play later or even later in that same chapter as this interlocking chain of necessary revelations. If you don't put it up front as well as in the back, then you end up with a mess like I had in that in that particular kind of circumstance. You you if 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 you know that X is going to happen towards the end of the story, you can already start 
leading up to that thematically in terms of the struggles that the characters having in their own personal life or their fears or desires or wants. It's it the story itself, the where it's going, where it's been, the payoff at the end, it runs through everything. And that's what allows a story to feel rich and deep. It's these constant callbacks and references to things that happened before and after and these connections between things the character did or said earlier on and how they come to play in a sep- in a different kind of instance, but similar. It's they play off each other and all of that. It's not critical towards building a story, but it it creates a much richer, deeper reading experience. It's like 400 count thread sheets or 1200 count thread, thread count sheets. Like which one would you rather sleep on? And that's what foreshadowing will do to a story when it just, it lurks as Chuck Wendig said, it lurks in the shadow of every plot turn. All right. And just like those two quotes were kind of related, these last two are are kind of related as well, almost on uh, the opposite end of the spectrum. Gary Witta, I believe, says, whenever writing seems hard, in, in parentheses, all of the time, remind yourself that it's when it seems easy that you have a real problem. And then Michael Arndt says, good writing is deceptive in that it hides its own artifice. It makes it seem easy. I have nothing to add to those because, yes, (laughs) absolutely 100%. (laughs) All right, so that is it. We have exhausted our our store of of quotes. Reservoir. Oh, I like that. That's so much better. (laughs) Our reservoir of quotes. And so once again, we will ask for material. If you've got anything that you would like Taylor to work over, um, that it gives us so many opportunities to see so many different things when, when she has material that she can look at. And it might be the kind of thing where you're looking, uh, for example, how to improve these three paragraphs, but there might be five other things that, that Taylor will be able to pull from from what you send in, that that would be a benefit to uh, all of our listeners. So if you have anything that you're working on that you would like a little help with, uh, please send it to Taylor. And the best way to send that is? Uh, contact at taylorstevensbooks.com is probably the best place to send it. All righty. So that is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys very much for being here with us. Taylor, thank you for responding to all of these and and putting them all together and tracking them down for us. And of of course, thank you once again to Scott Myers for making this all available. And if if you're on Twitter and you're not following Scott, he is at Go Into The Story. Yes, and thank you to Steve for making this podcast work because he does all the hard work. I just show up and talk. Yeah, (laughs) but you're so good at it. And thank you guys for being here. And knock on wood, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>